Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller. I hunt for the latest and greatest authors and experts in self-help and ask them the candid and in-depth questions I'm curious about for my own growth. I bring these conversation series to you so we can learn and grow together. In this episode, I'm wrapping up my series on Elliot Bisnow, co-founder of the Summit Series Events Uh, which is part festival, part personal development conference. And his book, Make No Small Plans, gives focus to his entrepreneurial journey and his partners and the power of hosting and attending events, which is what we talked about in episode 1038. Well, I want to talk about this further in one of the masters in both categories of entrepreneurialism and events, who I know personally is Dan Miller, author of 48 Days to the Work You Love and host of the 48 Days podcast. And I know him personally because he's my dad. Well, I asked him to listen to my show with Elliot, again, episode 1038, and then join me to discuss it further. So you're about to hear our conversation. Uh, as this is the self-helpful show, and my focus is just that, this episode addresses some of why we want self-help, how we want to walk it out, grow ourselves and live out our values, which we do or often want to do in our work. And being an entrepreneur is a great way to help ourselves. So here we talked about what evidence you look for in being an entrepreneur, especially amongst failure, like what Elliot had at the out front of his efforts. We discussed what makes for great events in this day and age and how Dan has done it with so many events where it was more family gathering than seminar. I just did one with him a week ago, which I also a week ago attended a podcast conference uh, convention with him. And we share what we learned and the opportunities in both podcasting and events and, and business at large. And then we dwelled a good bit on just that opportunity. I mean, in podcasting and in event hosting and so many areas of business endeavors, things are evolving at such a rapid pace. The good news is it leaves the door open constantly for innovation and entry for anyone who comes in fairly savvy. A reminder, you can find Elliot Bisnow's book, No Small Plans, anywhere and connect with him and his events at summit.co. Dan Miller, you can find it at 48days.com, 48 days.com or his podcast 48 days. Hey, if you find value from this self-helpful podcast, uh, subscribe, leave a review about this episode would be great and take something you learned and share it with someone else. Talk about it. You can always find me at my website or social media at kevinmiller.co. So next up, Dan Miller and I discuss the topics around Elliot Bisno's entrepreneurial journey and wildly successful event production and more. Well, dad, as we talk about or get into this discussion on Elliot Bisnow and his entrepreneurial journey and the journey of an entrepreneur and dealing with failure, I want to dive in there. And then also about events. It's timely for us as we just saw each other face to face after it's been a while down in Dallas Absolutely. at the podcast movement. You go to a lot of events. I don't as much. It was, it was significant though. It has, uh, it was, it was great for how it was, but different than what Elliot talked about. And I want to get into that talking about uh, the experiential part and what you've done uh, so well, but man, you are, you know, just on events, just to speak to that you do, I know you budget. We had you on a show. Gosh, it's been a while now. And you talked about, you probably do more, but how much do you budget or or recommend budgeting for personal development, your own personal development annually? 
I, I recommend 5% of income. So you can just do the math on that. You know, what that means, if somebody's making 50000 a year, that's $2,500. $100,000, it's $5,000 you have to invest. So I look for ways to do that. I've attended conferences where the conference organizer said, geez, why didn't you let me know you were coming? I would have just let you in. I said, no, that, that defeats the purpose. I look for ways to invest, not just to give away money, but to, there's a different experience when you invest in it. And I do continue to do that, even there, if there are things that I could get for free at this point. 5%. Well, and it's, so it's interesting, as you were just talking, you can give us a story on why the title of Elliot's book, Make No Small Plans, resonated with you. Because as you're talking about that and you're saying, okay, I recommend 5% of your income, then I'm thinking, okay, well, if I want to quadruple my income, should I just pony up and quadruple my expense? Interesting. Yeah, well... I've seen people do that where they went way over. Uh, Joanna Ellison, one of our coaches, now the dean of coaching in our Eagles community, did that. Initially, she was way over that 5%, but her income escalated so exponentially. It's just astounding to watch. So the question becomes, did that investment fuel her rapid growth? Yeah, you know, it's the chicken and the egg at that point. But, uh, yeah, I, I certainly don't fault people on doing that if they go over the 5% initially. What what I do struggle with is people who are really just getting started and they refuse to invest $20 in a book. You know, they think, well, when I really get going, when I'm making 100000 when I'm making 200000 you know, then I'll invest in those things to help my growth. But right now I can't afford it. And see, that really does kind of beg the question. It stops the growth if they aren't willing to invest at all. And if somebody's making $20 an hour, and they've got enough to, you know, that's going to be about $60 a month that they're going to have based on just 3% of their income to invest in books or an online course, get in master class. There's so many things you can start to access. We just had people go through a 30-day challenge of listening to The Strangest Secret for 30 days in a row. Cost absolutely nothing. Pull it up on YouTube and listen to it. And I guarantee you, if somebody does that, it'll change their life forever. But it'll start that process of being willing to invest in those things that are going to fuel your growth. And you changed my paradigm on that as a little kid. I think I've told the story before, but I'll never forget. I was probably, I'm going to guess 12 ish around that age. And you went to a conference. I think it was a local conference. We were living in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Maybe it was in Nashville or something like that. And I found out, or you divulged that it was 500 bucks. Don't remember what it was. And who knows, you know, that's oh. my perspective now trying to rethink the story so many years later, but in my mind, I was 500 bucks. Maybe it was 300. Anyways, I expressed a little shock at that. Are you kidding me for, you know, a day or two days or whatever, 500 bucks. And you said, Kevin, if I get one idea, it could be worth, you know, 5,000 or 50,000. Okay. That, that resonated. And it's funny how that sticks with me today at 51. So we go to podcast movement. Entry was four or 500 bucks. Did the hotel there, which was 600 for the three nights I stayed, I think. And then, uh, what else? Yeah. Oh, airline fare or something. So I'm thinking, you know, 1500 bucks, some meals or something like that. And I got there attended the first conference, had a meeting afterwards. And I went to that meeting and about 15 minutes in, I realized, huh, I just 
10 times my investment, you know? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's exciting. I look, I look at that. I mean, yeah. So if you invest in $1,500 and going to that, you ought to be fully anticipating a 10 times return. So you need, what is that one or two ideas that are going to generate another $15,000 for you? Well, in the kind of things that you're doing, I mean, that's not unreasonable at all. Wow, you get one new sponsor, one new connection. That's a done deal. That could happen in a month. So, uh, yeah, I, I just had, I just got off a call and it could likely be a hundred times that investment. I'll let you know on that. I'll let you know on that one. But yeah, anyway, you know, still the concept. So again, you, before we started talking, I said, don't say that. Let's record that. You said uh, the title of the book, Make No Small Plans, stood out to you because... Because about 30 years ago, your mother, Joanne, and I went to Chicago. I was speaking at a conference there. It was a health, health industry conference. And we saw at the base of what was then the Sears Tower, now the John Hancock Tower of the Sears Tower, a quotation from Daniel Burnham, who was the architect who designed most of the buildings along the waterway there in Chicago. And the, the sign at the bottom, small inscription said, make no small plans, Elliot's book title. The rest of that is, for they have no magic to stir men's souls. And that just really resonated with me. You know, little ideas don't excite us. Big ideas do. Make no small plans. They have no magic to stir men's souls. Great, great book title. Let's hold that one a minute. Because I am like that. So you're a master of personality styles. I know that you're one of the biggest sellers of the disc profile I don't, in America and maybe beyond. Um, and, and that you are engaged with the, you know, the Enneagram and you know Myers-Briggs and you know all those types of things. So granted, there are different personality styles. And I want, I've pondered that perspective of the big plans, right? The shooting for the stars. That is what gets me out of bed in the morning. It is what excites me to make that big plan and shoot for the stars. And if I say, man, by the end of the year, my goal here, it is in concrete. I'm going to, I'm shooting for the moon. Okay. I'm shooting for the moon year comes along and I'm not at the moon. You know, I'm just barely breaking through earth's atmosphere. You know, I haven't even gotten close. Well, to me, well, heck I'm a long ways from the earth. I'm a long ways from where I was. I'm, I'm still stoked that I didn't meet that. I know there are other people though. And I've heard testimony that they're, they're crushed that they did not make that goal. And it was, and it's made me kind of grapple on, you know, even in partnerships and whatnot, that there are different personalities. So is that fair to say that those big plans, that's what stirs men's soul or sometimes is it more difficult for people if they don't reach that? You get the point. I I've, I've just, I've pondered that. Okay. I just got a question from a guy, I mean, five minutes ago, and he said, he left me an audio message, said that he's been working on creating a new course. He's about 75% finished, and he was going to present the course at a conference that's coming up about another month from now. And he just got notified from the conference that they canceled that track because of low enrollment. He said, have I lost everything? You know, did I, did I fail? Well, no, not at all. For one thing, the process that he went through to develop that course can never be taken away. Whether he presents at that conference or not is irrelevant. That can never be taken away. 
Plus, if it really is a course that has value, there's got to be a thousand other ways to get it out there other than just that conference. So no, never tie your goal so closely to just one event that you think you didn't hit it. Now, I mentioned that I just finished a process of 30 days. I actually did 31. I like a little insurance of listening to The Strangest Secret. And to me, listening to something like that, when things are going pretty well already, it's an insurance policy against failure. It's not like I need everything to change. It's just I want that little edge, and that does it. Now, one of the core principles in that recording is we become what we think about. And he references often the passage out of the Bible and certainly referenced by every great thinker out there. And it really comes from, and it, what his encouragement was to carry this in a card in your pocket. So here's mine. Now, my little card is really worn out because of 30 days of being in my pocket. But on the back, it has, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And then on the other side, it has your big goal. Now, that big goal that I had on the other side, I didn't hit that in those 30 days. Now, I could look at that and say, okay, did I fail? Did it not work? I don't know how close I am to that goal. There could be one phone call, like you just mentioned, you just had, that could absolutely make that happen. One connection that could make that happen. I'm totally confident that I'm closer. However, the reality is I don't see any quantifiable improvement from where I was when I began it began 30 days ago. The change is in between my own two ears. Mm-hmm. I have confidence in that, even if I'm not seeing it in my bank account or seeing it, you know, whatever that goal happened to be. Well, and then the other side of that is what you communicate to others. And I have found myself sometimes keeping that big goal to myself, or maybe I share it with, you know, a person or two where it's appropriate and with others, maybe tempering it and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not shooting for the moon. I'm just, I'm shooting to get out of the, get out of this, uh, County, you know, uh-huh. knowing that there's no way I'm not going to, at the least I'll get out of the state. So I'm going to impress, I'm going to over deliver on that goal. Okay. Now my goal is still the moon. That's still what, what excites me, but I have, and I, you, you know, this people dealing with, with family and friends and spheres of influence. Sometimes you get pushback, especially if you're really going after something big. Oh, and yeah. I do find the appropriateness to be, um, judicious in who you share what with, and that some people may not need to hear the big goal. It's too much for them to hear. You may not have the credibility. They may, you may get back and, and, and temperate, keep it yourself or even temperate. I'm just, I'm just trying something just no big deal even though I've got that note in my pocket of what I really want to do. Yeah. Well, Zig Ziglar is a mentor to both of us, and I've heard his son Tom, friend of yours, talk about that. You don't just share your goals with everybody. Now, Zig talked about, you know, share your goals because it's kind of the built-in accountability and motivation to make accomplish them, but you don't share those with people who are small thinkers. They'll find all kinds of reasons to tell you why you aren't going to accomplish it. And actually, they hope you don't because they want to hold you down at their level. So you share those big goals with people who have already achieved their own big goals. Mm. You don't go to Nashville and say, hey, I want to get in the music industry. You're going to have 100 people say, yeah, it can't be done. Talk to Taylor Swift. You know, talk to Jason Aldean. You know, talk to people like that. 
who have knocked it out of the park, talk to Carrie Underwood, they'll say, well, of course you can. Let me tell you what I did. How can I help you? Yeah. So you, you share those big goals with people who have a track record of accomplishing big goals, not with somebody who feels trapped in the life they have. Well, so let's talk about that, the life they have. So Elliot started off. And it's a question, I, I, that's why I wanted you on the show, or one of the reasons I wanted you on the show, you know, where here he is with little context of being mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, but he has a fire in him for whatever reason. Doesn't have a lot of support, doesn't have a lot of exposure, but he wants to be an entrepreneur. So he goes out and tries it, starts a t-shirt business, doesn't sell one t-shirt. I think you've had yeah. some experiences like that. But we look at that and you know that right there, right there. How many people has that experience said to them, nope, not for me, go back and get a job. And that's, of course, what you often get support from others to. Yeah, yeah, you just, you just do what's responsible and, and safe. And yet he went on and did another one. Uh, it was a, some kind of a consulting business. Didn't get one client. I mean, zero. We're not talking little, you know, didn't do well. Zero. It's so tempting to look at that and go, yeah, you're probably not cut out for this. And yet he still believed that it was best. And he continued forward. And of course we have that great story, but right there to me, it was kind of a trifecta of questions. One, it's a viable, I mean, there have been some people who have gone out there to be an entrepreneur that even you would say, yeah, I don't know that it's cut out for you. This right. and you know, you're not doing well. And I don't know that it's a good fit for you. One, two, you know, people who tried something that didn't work and maybe that concept, that's not the best fit for you, or it could be, but you really packaged it wrong. I mean, there's enough integers in there to make it very complex and scary for anyone. If you don't go out and just knock it out of the park, especially to question, is it best for me? Am I really the right fit? Is this the right product or service? Am I, you know, have I just packaged it wrong or is it really a bad idea? I mean, those are big questions to hold. He's got a great story, but you know, that's not everyone's story. Absolutely. And he tried different ideas. Now, there's, there has to be a series of things to confirm. It's like if somebody okay. says, gee, I had a dream last night you know, that you need to liquidate everything you've got here and move to Ethiopia to help the poor people there. I'm like, geez, you know, what'd you eat before you went to bed? They have that kind of a screwy dream. But if in the past month, every article I pick up references Ethiopia. And I've talked to three people who have been there and told me the story. And all of a sudden, I see this long pattern of things fitting together. I think, I need to pay attention to this. So there's affirmation that moves along. So if somebody has tried multiple ideas, and gee, nothing works, nothing works, nothing works, yeah, you need to assess, is this really a good fit for me? And I'm moving in a direction where I'm going to experience a little success, at least, to keep me going in this, or do I need to redirect? I would never say that everybody needs to be an entrepreneur. It's not like if you really get your act together, you're certainly never going to have a job. You need to be not. No, we all have a place on that continuum of work models that fits us. But if you have the desire to be an entrepreneur, then do something to test that idea or you'll regret it. I've never had a successful entrepreneur say, wow, you know, I wish I would have just kept my job at the office. No, you know, it, once you have a little success, then it does fuel that. And, and it's not unusual in anything that we approach, whether it's going to school or getting a job or starting a business, to have some failure experiences along the way. 
before we get to a success. So I'll tell you a story about starting a couple of businesses, not having success, and then finding something where he tried a model and then modified that. And now he has these major events and his co-owner of Powder Mountain. Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate his persistence. Again, I don't believe it's kind of tricky. I don't, I don't encourage people to persist just no matter what. We hear that, you know, winners never quit, quitters never win. That's garbage. You know, winners do quit. They quit often when something's not working. You don't beat your head against the wall. You don't leave Florida, go into Colorado, and realize, gee, you're headed toward New York. But if you just persist and go faster and be more efficient, it's going to work out okay? No, you need to redirect or start over. Well, in your career, I mean, you've had a lot of people who wanted to leave employment and go to self-employment, some of which you helped them do that, some of which you looked at the evidence and said, I don't think that that's a good fit. And you've got a lot of people who you have just helped them progress in their job, in their career, in their you know executive role, whatnot. In regards to that, of what you just told the story about going off and you know doing something in a third world country, as we look, what are the traits that you're often looking for as red you know, green flags or red flags for somebody interested in that entrepreneurial pathway? Because as I read Elliot's story in his book, Make No Small Plans, there was some evidence for him as an individual going that path of it being fitting for him. Uh, so back to that evidence of, because you know that people speaking of personality profiles often think, Oh, you're going to be an entrepreneur or somebody's going to be an entrepreneur. They're an extrovert. They like to take risks. They're outgoing. They, they kind of, you know, typify them this way. And of course we know that that's not often the case. I think they get the limelight a lot, but people I see running good businesses are often not that they don't fit that paradigm. So again, what would be some highlight evidences of, hey, being an entrepreneur, this, this may be some evidence towards that if this, if this is you, this may be against. It's primarily mindset that I'm going to look for. Okay. People ask me, with our communities, there's such a broad spectrum of humanity in there. You know, what's the connecting factor? It's somebody, and here's how I define like an avatar, somebody that I want to work with. 47 years old, has an advanced degree, making in excess of $100,000 a year, has three kids, has a 20-minute commute going back and forth, but they spend a lot of their time wondering, why am I doing this? They look forward to the weekends and dread Mondays. So, you know, those are things that I look for. If those are true, and if the person has a mindset where they believe there's more than what they've seen so far... That clearly identifies they're open to looking at some new options that maybe they've never tried. Now, on the other hand, if somebody blames the government for everything that's going on, they're pointing fingers, you know, they're negative about what's going on in their environment, nah, I, I don't want to work with somebody like that. I think their chances of success as an entrepreneur are pretty slim. So it really is mindset. It's not academic background. It's not IQ. It's not age. It's the mindset. And if somebody really has that, I don't mean to make that sound too, too easy, but people want to recognize, you know, if they are whining, complaining, pointing fingers, blaming others and all that, they got a long way to go. 
to have a chance at success with doing something on our own. It reminds me of Seth Godin's book, Lynchpin, that that type of person, if the, the linchpin, the person that takes responsibility, that treats the job like they, they are an owner, that goes in mm-hmm. with that mindset and you find them. I, and I, find, I, I feel like a lot of those times, either that person's going to go to the top of their you know, field or career, or they're going to end up, I, I would guess they often, more often than not, end up out doing their own thing because they understand responsibility. They see the benefit and the opportunity in that, as opposed to just what you said, somebody who is more reliant and dependent on the system. I, and I don't, I want to be careful in, in saying that because there are some people who work so well in bigger teams like that of an employee role. And I don't, on the entrepreneur side, I don't, I, I, I've learned that it's not, it's not just the lone wolves out here. The ones that do well are the ones that can work in a team as well. Absolutely. Okay. So it's not a matter of not being able to work with other people or wanting to just be a lone ranger because lone rangers, there's a ceiling to what they can do. Yeah. You, know, you, you can only do so much and it, there's still has the necessity for an organization and a team if you're really going to have extraordinary success. So that's not even different than being part of a company. But someone who is willing to accept responsibility for what happens, they're visionary in terms of they see new things that need to be done. They're willing to ask, to seek, and to knock, we talked about. Mm -hmm. You know, you can kind of see a pattern of things coming there. And if you go to a conference that is designed for entrepreneurs, you're going to recognize those common characteristics in everybody who shows up. You know, this is, and, and I said at the beginning, or when I did Elliot, the first show with him, I said in the intro, it's a little bit, I wanted to recognize a little bit of a deviation from my generally, you know, pure kind of self-help, self-improvement, personal development focus. Cause we did get into business and we're sitting here talking about being an entrepreneur you know, one of the things that I am so became so aware of years ago is that most of most uh, of the entrepreneurs that I know are people who had a cause. They had something that they wanted to do, either vocationally or in their own lives through a vocation, and that was the driving force, as opposed to, hey, I think I can make a lot of money being an entrepreneur. That. Most entrepreneurs that I have experienced, and it's my story as well, there was some value that they held, values that they held that they wanted to achieve through being an entrepreneur. And for me, on the self-help side of my life, it meant it fit my desire for flexibility, for my family, for uh, having control over my finances, uh, even dealing with some of my own you know, neurosis, I would say of, of how I work and who, you know, how I work with other people. It was such a good fit for me. So there was a value that I was really adhering to that. I see other people who have different value, not different values, absolutely, but different, yeah, different ways that they fulfill those that are done well in a workplace environment like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of this. It's a very individualized path. There's no cookie cutter program that is going to make sense for everybody. We get to find our own path. But I loved Elliot's story about starting the events like he did, where he first he did them free. Yeah. And then he decided, well, you were just at one of our luncheons that we did in Dallas that I called Food for Thought with Dan. That was the fifth month that I did that. 
So five months in a row, I've had people just put in an application and then I select 12 people to join me for lunch. No cost to them at all, no agenda, no selling there, no nothing to promote, just to get together because I believe so much in the value of getting together like that. But we've seen the response has been really phenomenal to those events and people asking for more. Having done those for five months, that's a significant period of time, with no charge to anybody, I foot the bill for everything on those. But now I'm seeing this makes sense. This really does fit for a lot of people, me being included. But now I'm going to continue doing those, but I'm going to extend the time period, seeing that two hours is really too short. So I'm going to start doing those where it is a full day, 8.30 to 4.30, with some structured questions that really help people with clarity and direction, and they get the input of other high achievers as well. But now I'm going to make it $1,500 a piece for that one day, 12 people, and I'll do that a couple times a month. So a lot of times, there, you know, what he described as just experimentation, which he did, then all of a sudden he figured out, okay, here's a way that this can work. I do a lot of things like that as an entrepreneur, not going into it, this has to work this month, you know, or I'm toast. No, I give myself margin in what I do, knowing the things that are in place that are working well, but then I experiment. I've always got that 15% new area that I'm experimenting in. What would work here? What could I try that I've never done before? And I love that, the opportunity we have as entrepreneurs, but that's how we experiment with new ideas. They don't have to work right out of the gate, but if we learn and develop it, massage it, then it can turn into something really great. I mean, all the, all the cool things that I'm doing at this point started just as experiments. I mean, I did masterminds for years, just free, just getting together with other guys, hanging out, kind of informal. Then I formalized, put it together. Now I've got an amazing mastermind. You know, people pay $1,000 a month to be a part of that. It's a real significant part of my, my life and income. Well, I want to showcase some of the things that you have done, but I'm going to back into it. I mean, I grew up going to seminars and conferences and conventions with you. My gosh, I remember being a little guy going to the automobile conventions, you know, gigantic. I, I don't know. They must've been in Vegas or something. I mean, here or Atlanta, I mean, a huge Atlanta and Vegas. Yeah. yeah all I mean, the big ones, just warehouses full of a zillion vendors. I mean, it's mind blowing. Yep. That has its own place. I mean, that in and of itself is somewhat experiential. And then you have things happening. That's not, I don't think we have a whole lot of people on the show who are putting on massive, you know, conventions here. I mean, then we do have the conferences like what you and I just went to. So podcast movement, I think big, is that the biggest podcast conference in America? Oh yeah. And that was yeah, in the world. And oh, it, it is. is. Okay. And it was 3000 people. Yeah. 2,800 people. They're in person, then plus they're online right. participants. Okay, so that was and that was at a that was in Dallas, place people can get to. It was at a Sheraton Hotel, pretty nice hotel, and it was a lot of just kind of your basic hotel room conference center scenarios where you went for your tracks and stuff. Now they had some vendor booths and some experiential things there. It's obviously they have put a lot of emphasis on evening parties. Uh, that's a big thing there. I mean, they literally have the, you know, the big club vibe thing, which is not going to be a fit for everyone, but it's pretty fitting for podcasting. I think since it is a younger crowd, uh, by far and large, I I felt like, so understand that now 
the majority of us, however, are doing smaller events. I don't know if you have a def, you know, how you would define the category. Most of us in business, we're doing events that are going to be smaller. Could be 10 people, could be 50 people. Um, I don't know how we just, just smaller events. The ones we were, the ones we did for years at the sanctuary, we had a space that would accommodate. We really said 48, that being our magic yeah. number, 48 attendees, but we could cram 60 people in there. But that was it. 60 was maximum. So they were very, very small compared to what we were just at. Well, so right there. So you were in South of Nashville. You could have done them in any hotel, conference room, whatever, just your basic thing. And yet you did them. Let me paint the picture. So he had his home on nine acres. The whole property was yeah. nine acres. Well, yeah. okay. Initially you had your property and then you bought a, a, an adjoining property that had a barn, yes. a kind of a guy did mechanic work out of it. Didn't he? He did. Yep. Yep. It was dirty, nasty building. He did mechanic work, junk cars sitting around it and had a little kind of apartment type thing on the side. You converted that thing, made it really nice and called it the sanctuary and did your events there. So people are driving out this country lane outside, you know, fly in from wherever, take a longer drive, go through Nashville, pass all the hotels. Now you're out in the country, drive down. Initially, it was a gravel road to this converted barn and yeah. go in. And it was more of a family feel. And I can, I can see a lot of people going, ah, that seems kind of hokey. And I guess it depends on if your crowd is yeah. the Ferrari five-star hotel crowd, maybe that's not the right venue for you and your demographic and true to your spirit and your nature. It fit and people, my feeling was it was almost worth the price of admission just to show up there just for that environment. That's how people viewed it. You know, we had people there, you know, attorneys from New York who were used to a world of concrete and asphalt high rise buildings They'd come there, and we walk them down the lane, and they'd eat mulberries, or go down the in front of the mulberry tree, or go down the zip line. You know, I mean, those were the kind of things that it was so different, and much to Elliot's point in the event, that he wants it to be more of a festival than just a conference. We wanted people to experience something at our events at the sanctuary, more than just get content. And we had great speakers there. You know, we had. We had Jeremy Cowart there, and we had Michael Hyatt and Ken Davis and Chad Jeffers. We had a lot of... I just wrote his name down. You had Andy Andrews out there. He was on the show not long ago. But you mentioned Carrie Underwood a minute ago, and I thought uh -huh. of Chad. So Chad, so for people to know, Chad is her one of her, her main guitarists. What's, he, what's the thing he plays? Um, Dobro. Dobro, yeah. So, I mean, you look, watch Carrie on stage, you'll see Chad there. So you had him... Because uh, he's right. into personal development, business development. You had him there, and he's there, and he gives his little talk. And I saw him a couple times, pictures of him. I might have even been at an event, and he's doing a little session there. I mean, how cool is that? Where do you get an experience like that? And we did, we did lots of things like that. So there was on the property, and as part of the event, you know, we'd have breaks, and people could go down the, the zip line if they wanted to. We had a nature trail. People could walk down through. We'd have, like, um, since it was not a hotel, so we didn't have any restrictions on how we could prepare food or bring food in. So we had all kinds of different things. We had people who, famous Dave's red truck come out on location and cook hot dogs and hamburgers out of the back of a red truck. We had Remember when we had Rosalie come and do an Italian meal for yeah. everybody? 
It was outrageous. She offered to do food for the entire group, like 60 people, if we would give her feedback on growing her business. She being a great Italian cook, had a cookbook. We had an amazing time doing that. Wow. Well, and I want to... There were... Well, I, I want right there. I wanted to point out because a lot of those things, what I saw you guys do a good job of was along with the experience, I'm going to put it in the category of over delivering, having things that were planned that you didn't put out there. I think we tend to have an event. We want to list out a hundred thousand things that we're going to provide. And it's almost an over promising. It's hard to even deliver the experience that you're you know, putting online with your pyrotechnics and your whatever. And that you seemed to showcase a solid venue, but then you would have yeah, Chad Jeffers get up there and all of a sudden somebody realized, Holy smokes, this guy is, you know, lead guitarist for Carrie Underwood. He's at the event. I mean, they weren't expecting that. And there are these things and along with the, not just hosting the event, not just leading the event, but it felt like facilitating kind of like what Elliot talked about, facilitating the connections with people. And so you had food come out and everybody's sitting out on the deck. And if it rains, you scurry inside together and it's a shared experience and people are experiencing these things they didn't expect. It's an over-delivering. And they leave going, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Like you invited them into your home for free. And yet they did pay 1500 bucks. You made a good, you know, you made a good uh, profit off of that uh, event. And yet you did it in a way. And it, again, so converse to the, how many seminars did you, have you attended in your life where you show up at a bland, blank, vanilla, fairly dead hotel room and they're expecting the content to be everything. And well, I ask you, I w I'm going to also assume, oh, I think we know the stats. We have shifted more for better or worse into, we want an experience that edutainment type thing. We want an experience along with that, which my gosh, how many events have you held on a cruise ship? Um, probably seven or eight. Yeah. Yeah. We've done a lot of those. People remember those forever where we spent a whole week together. So we had some content but we didn't over-agendize the week. There was lots and lots of free time. We're on a cruise, for goodness sakes. You know, we aren't going to avoid all the things that make a cruise fun by sitting in a stuffy room somewhere. But we've had some really amazing experiences there where we've done kayaking together and e-bike rides together. We did events there at the sanctuary where we had people take off their shoes to make a point to walk out in the grass to just feel the, get the sense of being grounded like that. We one time, <clears throat> I don't know if you were there or not, we had a frog funeral. Mm -hmm. um, one of my granddaughters, Clara, you know, there were always grandkids roaming the property while we were having events. And she came bursting into our conference area where we were in the middle of a session. She said, I just found a dead frog in the, in the water feature. We need to have a frog funeral. We stopped what we were doing. And 60 people got up, walked out, followed her over the property. She'd already identified a place. We all gathered, held hands around a circle, and we prayed, and we sang, and we buried the frog and put a little cross up. Then we went back into our conference room and continued where we were. <laughs> now, who's going to forget a frog funeral? They're, they're not, but I, I do want, I, I want to hit on that because, you know, I also, if we're talking about how to host something on the attendee side, I have 
in the past. There are, there have been times when I would have, I would have struggled with that. I would have said, look, man, I paid 1500 bucks to get here. I'm not doing a frog funeral. I want the, I want the meat, man. I want, I want some good stuff. And yet yeah. now in my uh, hopeful maturity and, and some wisdom realize that that's the kind of, again, shared context that will likely connect me with someone further. And again, even if I'm being selfish and looking at my bottom line dollar, that will lead to revenue. And I see that more and more. I've got a guy's group of, I'm going to call them adventurers. Most of the guys are 50 plus. Um, they've done really well vocationally and they're, they're out here in Colorado. They're adventurers. And so we get together, they call them Wednesdays. That's, that's just the name of it. Wednesdays. And we get together and we meet at the river and go uh, stand up paddle boarding or canoeing or whatever, or we meet in a mountain bike trail and do some epic mountain bike ride. A couple of weeks ago, we did uh, a series of four 13,000 foot peaks. Colorado is big on 14ers, but these were 13,000 and it was a really hard traverse. So I did it with eight, eight guys. You know, this guy owns a tech company. This guy owns some HR management. They've got, you know, millions of dollars and yet they're out here and it levels the playing field. And yet then we're at dinner later and they love their beer after their, you know, events and they're talking and then all of a sudden two guys hit it up. And the next thing you know, they just did some multi-million dollar deal. That's not even why they were there, but it just happens organically. And I've found myself often as the introvert, you know, I am, and I know you tend to be as well. <sighs> Chill out, Kevin. This is not just about, it's again, it's not about the content. You need the experience with these people that may often lead to far greater things than any amount of content coming from the stage or from the leader is going to provide for you. Well, event planners are struggling right now to get people to show up because if it's just the content, why would somebody come? Yeah. You can jump online. You can jump into a master class. I mean, I just watched this morning a new master class that's up with Richard Branson. My gosh, if I want to get the experience of what he knows about entrepreneurship, I don't need to go to a conference somewhere and see him in person. I can see him in person right in front of me, right here in my office. So we have to be careful about just loading up content because content is so easy to get. So people aren't going to go to conferences just for new knowledge. I mean, I certainly did not go to the one we just went to, Podcast Movement, for new knowledge about podcasting. It's so easy to get. I just finished a course, a five-week course in podcasting that I went through because I wanted to know from that particular teacher. So I went through his course in person with the teacher. But I didn't go for, as a matter of fact, I never even looked at the content that was going to be presented or who was going to be there until I got to the conference because I go for it. Now, we, you know, we did see people like, uh, you know, Mark Cuban and Ben Shapiro and people like that who are well known. But uh, I didn't know that until we got there. And what I went or it was to deepen relationships, to connect with people that I may only see a couple times a year. That's the value. And that and the experience, and of course, we combined it. You know, on, on one of the days, um, your mom and I drove down to Waco, Texas, to go down to see the beautiful area that's been developed by Chip and Joanna Gaines, the house flippers and what they've done. Now, mom looks at it in terms of the decorating style that's so amazing that they put together. I look at it in terms of an entrepreneur. How has this couple done things that are not high tech? They're not new. They're not innovative. They're just doing ordinary things, but they do them in such a classy way that it's created this 
monolithic business for them that's getting into restaurants and hotels and all kinds of things. I mean, I loved that experience. But it was combining the conference with other real-life experiences like that, having dinner with you and with other friends. That's what made it worthwhile going to. Incidentally, I don't know if you know the, the backstory, the history on Podcast Movement, that event being started. No. And that was started in 2016. Jared Easley and Dan Franks, just a couple guys that thought, you know, there's a lot of podcasters. It's kind of a growing venue out there. There ought to be something that brings together just people in that. And there wasn't. And so they started Podcast Movement. Now, to see what we just experienced there in Dallas, the Sheraton Hotel, I mean, you'd have to commit $150,000 in advance just to get the space and put all that together. They didn't have any money. They put it up, the first event, they put it up on Kickstarter and said, if you want to come, if you would come, prepay for your ticket. They had 281 people who participated in that little Kickstarter campaign, and they raised $31,854. That gave them the money to put on their first little event. And then it was successful. Word spread. The buzz kind of started. So then they could build from that. Next year, next year, next year. And then in 2019, they sold. They got a bunch of money for what they had put together. They sold majority interest in that event that they put together. Again, great example of how entrepreneurs think. How could we do this? One of the stories that Richard Branson tells on his Masterclass series is he was 28 years old, and he heard about the Virgin Islands. He wasn't even that familiar with where they were, this series of islands down there in the Caribbean. And he wanted to uh, impress a girl that he was courting then at the time before he married her. But he was courting her, and so he thought, well, how can I do that? So he contacted a real estate agent, in the Virgin Islands said, I'm thinking about buying an island down there. The guy was all excited and says, hey, I'll get you an airline ticket. And Richard says, well, I really want two, two airline tickets and I'll come. So they did. Flew down in the morning. The guy took him up in a helicopter and showed him islands, one of those being Necker Island, which we hear about connected with Richard Branson. 74 acres, beautiful, beautiful property. And Richard's like, well, what do they want for this? Six million dollars. He never batted an eye. He knew that if he pulled all his resources together, every penny that he had, he could probably come up with $18,000. Even with that, he offered the guy, the owner, he offered him on the spot $100,000. Now think about the audacity of that. Six million dollar property and he offered him $100,000. The guy evicted him out of his house, essentially. The real estate guy refused to even give him a ride back to the airport because he was so insulted by what had happened. Didn't bother him. He kept in contact with the owner. He kept showing, not showing up, but just kept in contact with him. The property was never shown to anybody else. Nobody ever else even asked to see the property. One year later, he bought the property for $180,000. No way. Yeah, that's what he paid for Necker Island, 74 acres. That's now worth millions. But that's how entrepreneurs think. They don't just turn away at the first sign of defeat. They do things that are creative. They ask for things that other people don't even think about. And just all these things we're talking about are just examples of how you... The opportunities are all around us. If you have the eyes to see and the mindset to believe that it's possible. Well, and then we're to the Jim Rohn aspect of the power, the influence of the people you hang out with. 
and again, back to the events. And I found, you know, even at this one, so this was a, a much bigger event than anything I would normally go to. I, my, my, my favorite events are, you know, 10 people. So we were with 2,800 or whatnot, but it was still, these are people who are doing this thing. So in this essence, podcasting, they are primarily entrepreneurs, or at least have a side gig over here. And we got to, you know, you sit next to one person who's just thinking about creating a podcast and the person on your right has a million downloads a month and you get that diversity. And I did feel like even amongst, yeah, I struggle too with really, I'm going to go spend all that money to go hear something I could hear, uh, every minute, something new about it on a pot, on a podcast or on an audio, but it did feel really distilled down. And I felt and going to the meetings, going to the sessions, and I, f- there were certain threads that just stuck out to me. May not have stuck out to other people. I had a meeting yesterday with some folks, and I shared some of the highlights. And they were the threads that stuck out to me that I was so grateful just to have the exposure to so many people talking about somewhat dissimilar things, but around the same topic. And I kept hearing these things. And it really tuned me into some areas that I was missing, some areas I wanted to maximize. And it wasn't again from, yeah, from any one thing that was spoken, it really inspired me to, you know, continue going to more of these events in person, <laughs> spend the money, go there, uh, connect with people, try to set meetings up. I had some impromptu meeting, I probably I'm sitting here and think I, I would have to, I'm not sure if the planned meetings were more beneficial than the impromptu meetings that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yet to be, that's yet to be figured out. Um, like you, I'm doing some follow-up this week yeah. from contacts we've made just from walking around, meeting people, being introduced to other people. I mean, people are extremely generous about that. Hey, Kevin, I want you to meet Mary over here. You know, I want you to meet the gal with HubSpot. I want you to talk to the, the gals at Red Circle. You know, so just those kind of impromptu connections, that's why a conference is worthwhile. Not to just be quiet and sit in a seat somewhere and listen to a guy on a stage, but to walk around, connect with people. And then also, I mean, obviously, it's kind of affirming for you and me. We've been in podcasting for some time now. A lot of people are just getting into it. We're told that there are now 4 million podcasts that are out there. All the major players, major networks, of course, Pandora, Spotify, and NPR and all those are getting involved in podcasting, paying big bucks for host and guests and sponsors and all that. Yeah. You and I are just entrepreneurs, but we got into this. We studied it. We understand how to do it well. And out of those four million, it's kind of uh, affirming for both of us to know that we are in the top 1%. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the ranking systems show us easily in the top 1%. I mean, you're really high in the numbers because of the number of downloads that you've got. So that was worth going for as well to realize we're in a really big market at this point, but we're studying it and trying to do it well, just as an entrepreneur would with any business. It is a business for us and we're figuring out how to do it well. Well, exactly. And that's, that is a big reason that I went. It was the, I guess the best terminology would be just the necessity of, I don't know if it's innovate. I was going to say innovation, maybe even just evolution. And as we look about it, you'll appreciate this. And I think first off, any industry is going to evolve. This is the classic story of IBM who wouldn't evolve and they got left behind when they should have been the giant and continued, but they stuck said, Hey, this is working. We're going to stick with it and things evolve. And even as you and I have been in this for a while and are doing, okay, I'm looking at the changes and going, man, I better stay abreast of this. 
uh, or I'm going to get left behind or I'm afraid that I'm going to get left behind. And I talked with some big wigs in the industry just this morning and they said that they have really come in big guns because they see podcasting right now where they saw video content back in 2010. So we're, that's 12 years ago. So back in 2010, they saw, I mean, video has happened a lot, but it was still kind of an initial, the dawning ages of videos and even YouTube really hitting the big screen, big, big scene. And they see what was happening. Uh, they went through that. They see that's where podcasting is now. So as much as, yeah, we talk about four, th- uh, 4 million podcasts and whatnot, it's still a very, I, I wouldn't say infantile, but st- it still feels like the toddler stages of where it's going to pan out. And you mentioned that I saw those stats too, 4 million podcasts now, which I feel like a year ago, maybe a little bit longer, it was a million. Then it jumped to 2 million. Now we're at 4 million. However, the stats that I saw, if we saw the same ones, we're saying there's only about 500,000 or something south of 600,000 that are, I'll say viable, meaning that they're posting at least once a week. Is that, yes. is that, was that it? Okay. Yeah, I'm not even sure once a week, the, the, the number who are doing it even once a month. So what that tells us is a lot of people, because there's really no barriers to entry, yeah. they're sticking their toe in the water, yeah. but they aren't serious about building a business. Yeah. So those of us who are doing, you're doing multiple once a week. You know, I do one a week. That's been my model from day one. But to be consistent on that, yeah. to do what I say I'm going to do. Uh, Again, it it comes down to the same principles. It's going to make you successful. So you end up being a little hardware store in a corner or Walmart. If you're going to be serious about growing it, then do the things that any business would require to make it grow. Well, and to come round circle to where we started the show with talking about being an entrepreneur, I'd have to put that at the top of the list. If you are a more proactive natured person than reactive, uh, I feel like it requires it. So even you, you and I sitting here as, you know, entrepreneurs who are, uh, you know, we've, we've matured in that we're doing well, but if we don't stay proactive, stay innovative, keep evolving. And when we see that getting left behind, and I, I think that's grown as a concern for me as things change so rapidly. And as you know, I mean, it's always been that way, but it feels like it's that way faster. Uh, It's kind of like the guy's. It was it Diamandis and Kotler, the book, The Future's Faster Than You Think? Uh, yeah. And man, that stuck with me. It is. It is all, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, said Solomon a long time ago. But man, that sun's making revolutions quicker, it feels like, over here these days. And change happens. And Yeah, yeah it does. I mean, of course, Peter Drucker, even in his wisdom in his old age, you know, talked about if you're doing the same thing today you were doing a year ago, you're probably be left behind yeah. because of the rapid speed of change. So that's a danger, you know, for somebody to have a little bit of success and then just assume they're going to be able to continue that. Even in the event space, and I won't call it any other events, but there were some events that were really big even five years ago that have pretty much faded out because they didn't really stay current with where the trends were going. So you, know, you can't just do one thing and expect it to always work. That's why, even though you and I have been in podcasting quite a long time, we can't just assume that if we just keep doing what we're doing, we're going to keep those numbers and stay in the top 1% of podcasts. No, yeah. not necessarily. We need to be seeing what's happening. What are people looking for? Now, it's interesting in terms of the, the content being put out. You and I were both pretty blown away by 
by this. We're knowing that the the fastest growing genres in podcasting have nothing to do with what you and I are doing. Personal development, business acumen, you know, having good family relationships, understanding your finances, none of those. The big things in podcasting are wrestling, crime novels, you know, history, science, comedy, you know, those kind of things, which is okay because what it tells us is there's a lot of people trying to make inroads in those areas, but they aren't attracting really big audiences. You know, you and I still are attracting big audiences, even though overall numbers of podcasts, there's more in those other areas. Which goes back to the edutainment type thing. Uh, it's got me thinking about that. So obviously I mean, what you're saying, if you look at the top 200 podcast period, no categories, just top 200. Yeah. It's crime. I mean, you, the top last time I looked the top 15, were all, I think out of the top 15, 13 were crime, two were comedy. And one of the comedies was about crime. And yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, so entertainment is always going to rule number one and the personal development, business development are smatterings in that top 200. You got people like Dave Ramsey and, uh, gosh, uh, um, uh, Huberman, uh, labs, uh, guys is way up there, but you've got these smatterings, but it, tells us to look at, you know, kind of like what we talked about with the events. Is there some experience in there in my podcast? Can I have a little more experiential aspect of that? Some intrigue, some interest, even some entertainment to some point, but also to what you're saying with that constant evolution, 4 million podcasts, new in every single minute, it seems like I want people to hear that because of the evolution, there's great opportunity. I mean, there is always so much opportunity. There's as much opportunity to break in now as there was now. So don't hear that the market's saturated, but you need to be savvy on what you're doing. Same thing with events. So we've got big events that have petered out and then we've got, you know, Elliot biz now with, they've got summit events. They're one coming up in November in Palm Springs. I think I, a matter of fact, I think I talk with somebody about it tomorrow. Um, and I think I saw that the tab on that, it's like 3,500, 5,000 bucks. And they've got an 800 people person limit on that. Do the math. Uh Um, So events are not dead and gone. Don't hear that. But certain types are. Um, Well, they're they're that's true. You know, and that's that's the thing about again any area of opportunity or business development or entrepreneurship. If it's writing a book, you know, when I wrote a when I wrote 48 Days to the Work You Love, there were tons of books on how to find a job, how to position yourself, how to interview well, negotiate salary and all that. It wasn't that there was all that new content, but you have to have, what is your distinct advantage? Yeah. Mine was recognizing 85% of the process of having a confidence of proper direction in your career comes from looking inward first. It was that subtle twist that I think put me on the map and made that book the success that it is. Same thing is true in podcasting. You know, if you're just doing one more thing, you better be careful. But you've got to have something that is unique about your business. Again, that's true no matter if it's a course, a book, a podcast, or a walk-in business. What is it that's unique? Yeah. You know, when Domino's got in the pizza business, you would think, well, the two things you can do to be successful in the pizza business is either make a better pizza or sell it cheaper. They didn't do either one of those. But they were the first ones to guarantee 30-minute delivery, and it made millionaires all across the country. What is your unique advantage in what it is that you're doing? I, I do want to – I want to – I, I, I don't want to leave that because 
I am continually enamored as we are looking at the evolution of, of business, of opportunity, of, of so many things out there, of the drastic, and that was one, Dad, that stuck out with this conference on podcasting is, am I being clear enough about what is unique about me and my show as a hook, as a label, even people are going to say, Hey, everybody's talking about podcasting. What podcast do you listen to? What if they listen to mine? Self-helpful. Oh, really? What's that about? Do people know, do they have a clear understanding of, of, of the hook? Is there a label about what the show's about? And me, Oh, so who's the host by Kevin Miller. Oh, what's his deal? Do they know my deal? Now you've done that well with, because you have a book. Of course I have a book coming out. That's going to help a lot, but they, they know you, they're 48 days of the work you love, bestselling author, you know, career and business, but the necessity to be known for what you do as, and as you said, what do you stand out for? What's unique? How, not however, and because this is what I've missed sometimes and what I went to this event for and to understand what are best business practices also. When it comes to podcasting at this point, we know, and we heard a lot about it at the event, people are starting to expect certain things. They don't want a long intro. They want you to get to the point of the show right away so they can make a decision if they're going to listen to it or not. Heck, they make a decision on the title. Your title is as important as anything. Yep. I don't care how con- what the content, how good it may be, and how good your rep may be. My, my folks have told me this. Kevin, we love you. Love what you put out. And we still read the title. And if it's not something we're interested in, it's not compelling. We're not going to listen and you can't appeal to everybody. So I've got to understand that. What's the definition then of your show that they can read about. And then when the show starts, does it right away go into it? Now, as soon as I say that though, um, you can always find what what, I'm going to call them celebrity violators. Is that fair? You know, Joe Rogan can't get on there and, and pass gas for a few minutes and people don't care. They're going to listen to it. We're not Joe Rogan. Not many people are going to be Joe Rogan. For the most of us, we're looking at best business practices. So what can I do so that people get what they expect out of a podcast and be unique enough that they choose mine out of all the other options? And I'm saying that about podcasts. We're saying the same thing about events, same thing about your business. And I'm just learning more and more how to, the necessity of holding both of those together. Oh, absolutely. I, I think about that. A lot. Now, mine is 48 Days to the Work You Love. That's the podcast name. But every episode has a title. I recorded an episode this morning, and I titled it, Are You Following a Crippled Dog? Hmm. So there you go. Well, you listen to that? that, that, that <laughs> e- either I'm going to look at it and go, man, I'm out. Or I'm going to go, huh, tell me more. And what you're hoping is, uh, tell me more. And they open That's up the right. definition That's or right. they hit play. Yeah. So yeah. then I lead into... There's a story of a, a dog who got hit by a car, and it disabled her back legs, so they just drug along on the ground. She happened to be pregnant at the time she was hit, and then had a litter of puppies. The little puppies drugged their back legs. Yeah. Perfectly healthy, but they drugged their back legs. Well, obviously, it's easy to unpack that and go from that. Be careful who you're following, who you're spending time with. Is it somebody whose behavior and success you really want to model, or is it not? But, yeah, to your point, be doing something that is worth listening to. Yeah. Yep. Hey, thanks, man. We covered some ground. I'm sitting here making notes on my intro for this because we we did, but we came full circle, so... Um, and this is, you know, this is still a, 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 this would be, I'll probably, 
hold this in the realm of, you know, the, the self-help, the people we want to be, and we want to express it out here. And we want to do that in our work. And this is part of, of doing that. And, uh, but I think we gave great content to podcasting and to events, just such huge opportunity for folks. And the majority of the people who are listening to my show, who listen to your show, which by the way is 48 days. If you're listening to this, whatever you're listening in, type in 48 days and you'll find uh, his show. You've been doing it longer than most anyone that I know and have such a solid, such a loyal following, which I, again, I got to see at the lunch that you hosted that I got to be a part of. And that oh, connection yeah. back to Elliot, back to Elliot, that you have so much connection. It's not just about the content. You got to have good content. Just like they said a hundred times at the podcast movement, you got to have good content. Nobody's going to keep listening if you don't, but what do you have that's experiential and that connects you with your audience and helps the helps your people connect with each other is so powerful. And we so often miss it. I so often miss it. So I'll be making some changes. Well, we keep learning. Yeah. man, I love learning with you. Yep. yep. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the breeding ground of, uh, of learning. <laughs> I appreciate it, dad. Thanks. Well, I love to have you as a, as a peer at this point, being the adult that you are and, uh, excelling in what you're doing, uh, leading the way in podcasting. I'm learning from you as well, and I love the experience. Well, likewise, Dad. Thanks. I think this show should have you inspired about your opportunities. It sure did for me. Again, you can find Elliot Bisnow's book, No Small Plans, anywhere. Connect with him and his events at summit.co. Dan Miller you can find at 48days.com or his podcast, 48 Days. Thanks again, as always, for choosing to listen to this self-helpful podcast. I so hope you got value. If you did, uh, subscribe, leave a review about the show, let others know what to expect, and that helps us. And take something you learned, talk about it with someone else, discuss it further. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself. <laughs>